Hello, this is Sarah Goodyear, and this is The War on Cars. We're enjoying a little downtime here as summer comes to a close, but we'll be back in September with new episodes that we're really excited about. In the meantime, we wanted to share the conversation I had last winter with bike legend Gary Fisher, which we previously released exclusively to our Patreon supporters. It's a taste of what you get if you sign up to support the podcast at thewaroncars.org. But before we get to Gary, here's a word from our sponsor, Cleverhood. You've heard us talk about Cleverhood rain capes and all the great gear they make for walking and cycling. But Cleverhood is also a company that understands what it means to make cities better for walking and cycling. 5% of their profits go to organizations working to make streets safer, more sustainable, and more equitable. Plus, they support local economic development, small suppliers, and the kind of businesses that make communities healthier and more vibrant. Listeners of The War on Cars can receive 20% off everything in the Cleverhood store, including the Rover Rain Cape, their new Anorak, and more by going to cleverhood.com slash waroncars and entering code waroncars at checkout. Again, that's cleverhood.com slash waroncars. I had a definite mission. I wanted to get more people to ride bikes. Hello, this is Sarah Goodyear, and this is a Patreon special edition of The War on Cars. What do you think of when you hear the name Gary Fisher? Maybe an image of a mountain bike comes into your head. And a Gary Fisher is definitely a bike, or rather a brand of bike, now owned by the bike giant Trek. But Gary Fisher is also a person. And it turns out that he listens to the war on cars. Recently, he got in touch on Twitter, and of course we asked him if he would be up to talk with us. Gary was born in 1950 and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. He started racing road bikes as a teenager and also got into the local music scene, putting on light shows for the Grateful Dead in the late 60s. His love of bikes and his willingness to try just about anything led him to start modifying what he and his friends called clunkers to ride off-road on local mountains. Before long, Gary and his buddies had hacked together the basic form of what we now know as the mountain bike, although he didn't get that term trademarked. Then it was on to the adventure of getting the bikes manufactured at scale and marketing them to the world. Gary tells the whole story in very colorful detail in his autobiography, Being Gary Fisher and the Bicycle Revolution. It's a wild and beautifully designed book, featuring loads of photos that show his evolution from teen road racer to psychedelic showman to international businessman. Gary isn't just about road racing and off-road biking. He rides for transportation, too. He met his wife, Alex Zafiris, while waiting online at a bike valet station in San Francisco in 2009, and they rode to their wedding ceremony in a pedicab rickshaw, surrounded by a procession of guests on bikes. We ended up discussing the failed promise of the automobile, the bike boom of the late 70s, and how we can learn from COVID about building better streets. So now, for all you beautiful Patreon supporters out there, here's some highlights from our talk with Gary Fisher. What a trip the book is and how beautiful the whole thing really reflects a spirit of adventure and risk-taking and yet at the same time, it's very precise and controlled. And that seems like kind of your jam, right? There's always discipline 
in this madness. And then the bike as, um, I mean, I like to call it the world's happiest invention, you know, in that it, you sit on that thing and you ride around. There's always a place to sit and you can divide up the effort with the gearing and all that sort of thing. It's just so beautiful in that, you know, you can cruise and that whole thing of cruising, it really, uh, it's an incredible dynamic. One of the details that that really struck me is where you talk about your stepfather being an architect who designed suburbs and designed the kind of car sprawl infrastructure, and and his intentions were his intentions were good, right? You say he he wanted people to to have a better way to live. Exactly, all the the uh, law of unintended consequences. You know, the whole General Motors. It was incredible what those guys did. You know, how they took all the rail out and everything. And the bias that we still have existing is amazing. Yeah. And and and, and it, it sort of destroyed itself because, like, if you look at, like, how you grew up, like, running around, being outside all the time, you know, all that freedom. Now, the, the way that things are built, kids can't have that anymore, right? Uh, that's very true. And it's really difficult. But it, it's going to change. It will change. I mean, the, the bike is, kids love the bike and the parents love the bike and we've got to change our whole cities. You look what Paris did. I was impressed by um, your podcast with Paris and then it, it took 60% of the population to agree to do this. 40% were saying, no way. And they did it. And that has to happen. I'm sick and tired of these guys that taken over our streets and everything. We got the same deal. It's just like, it feels like knives, you know, going at 40 miles an hour, you know, and the noise level and everything. Some people love noise. You know what I mean? The sound of a Harley Davidson or a rocket taking off gets them off. And then there are other people, a lot of people, they shudder over the whole thing and it destroys them. And they're into scratching sounds and folding sounds. <laughs> you know, we're all made, we all come out different and that's fine. That's great. And it keeps us alive as a species. Good. God gravy. <laughs> and you said that you were like when you would go on rides then you experienced uh hostility from from drivers then, right? Oh sure. You know, and like I mean when I was twelve, I remember one time the cops a cop making me ride on the sidewalk, you know, for like miles and miles and miles. Mm. You know, I was like, what are you doing? I was out on a I was riding to the Cupertino bike shop and it was a 50 mile ride round trip. And he was like, just for about an hour, he followed me, you know, but there was, the traffic wasn't, there was just a lot less traffic. Also, you didn't worry about it as much. And I'll tell you, it's people kept their hands on the wheels then too, you know, it's gotten a lot worse recently. You know, people are much more detached from everything. Yeah, I sort of feel like um, that the the environment inside the car, like as things have gotten more and more soundproofed and and there's more stuff like cup holders and the seats are so cushy and it's like people are starting to feel like they're in their living room or, and, and especially with the soundproofing, I think it's like it is a really self-contained world. You know, nobody drives around with the windows open anymore right? No, no. Air conditioned environment, you know, the whole thing. And now they're uh, putting HEPA filters in it and everything. You don't want to breathe that air out there. Yeah. Right. That you're, that you're making filthy yourself. It's really, it's a, it's a big property ripoff. That's what it is. How do you mean? 
It's like it's your boudoir. It's your, you know, people do makeup. It's your rumpus room. It's your kitchen. You know, it's uh, your toolbox, all that. And you get to leave it anywhere you want. We know, I mean, at 1.3 passengers per vehicle, you cannot move enough people. So it does not deliver on promise. It, um, it ha- causes a lot of death by massive crushing uh, and a lot more death by fine particulate. It brings in poisons. It encourages us to be lazy and incommunicative with each other. Uh, we know all these things, and yet we let them have 100% of our streets. Are we out of our minds? Yes. Yeah, I think that's been well proven recently. Yeah, it's been totally proven, you know, and it's we got to get to 60%, friends, you know, because the, I, I, and I know the auto culture, I mean, you got it in New York, we got it here, you got sideshows, you got stuff that people love their cars, man, and they love high horsepower and they love all this crazy stuff, but they need a place to go play, you know? And it's like I say, you know, it's like um, road riders can be really rude, you know? On the Golden Gate Bridge, you'll see guys riding across and they'll have a whistle in their teeth and they'll be like like blowing it at the, the tourists and everything. You know, tourists are out with their cameras taking selfies and all this stuff. And it's like, hey, that's our money out there on the bridge, guys. Don't mow them down. And do you want a liability issue? You want to mow one of these tourists down? You're an idiot. Okay, my friend, can you slow down for a minute? These guys need to go racing every single week and get it out of their system on a real race course. And I'll say to city officials and stuff, it's like, you want to have less idiots riding around with everybody in the bike lanes and everything? Let them get it out of their systems. And the same with car drivers. They should have, it's like you go to Germany, you can run a lap on a track, bring any jalopy you want, you know, get it out of your system, boy. You know, it's like mostly guys, it's mostly this testosterone, you know, and everything. There are women that like to go fast too. Come on. But it's, you need to get it out of your system. But you also talk about the the idea that your car, I think you say something about like, this is my face and how people are like, that's, that's their identity. Maybe you could talk a little bit about like the difference between expressing your identity through your car and, and how you can express your identity on a bike. Well, the, the car, I, you know, come on, it's a, uh, it's a whole shell and everything. You can hide in a thing. It's hard to hide in a bike and people dress and they look nice on the bike. I mean, you certainly project quite an identity on the bike and have like a, a bunch of different identities. Like I feel like you've had like several bike personas over the years. A bike is a wonderful way to arrive, you know, and uh, it's the same with just dressing period. You know, it just shows that you respect uh, the world and where you live and everything and everyone around you. And uh, you want to project that, you know, it's just a happy way to live. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. So you talk a little bit about um, the, the way that there was a sort of a small bike boom in the seventies around the time of the oil crisis and how that was huge. I mean, it was like nuts. I mean, it was even more nuts than this supply thing. I mean, it was really crazy. I mean, uh, sales went from 4.7 to 15 million in one year. So that's more than triple. And it would people you'd go into a bike shop, there'd be three bikes there and you say, I'll take it. And you say, no, no, no. You order off of this. And in six weeks, our container is going to come in. And the problem with that time is there were very few people that could work on bikes. There were very few choices of bikes. Uh, you know, the, 
and there were very few people um, advocating for bikes. And uh, we might have had, you know, today we got 45,000 bike advocates in the United States alone. And back then it might have been 40. Right. You know, and that's a huge difference because the year after that, uh, bike sales went down to 7 million. And all those bikes, a lot of those bikes wound up in the garage. Gary talked about how the mountain biking craze took off after a TV report about the bikes he was building and riding on the trails north of San Francisco. Then things started to go crazy with that, you know, the media part, because that's part of the whole thing. I mean, how do you, you know, I knew damn well, I'm not the first person to make an off-road bike. Give me a break. You know, like they did that 150 years ago or whatever, you know, it was like everything was off-road. You know, this whole thing with the gears and everything and the uh, heavy duty brakes. Well, I developed it like crazy, but there were some guys in France that did it in 1947. None of these things turned into something that would be something. And I had a definite mission. I wanted to get more people to ride bikes. The part of the problem in 73 was the bikes were all these like, uh, little brothers and little sisters of a real road racing bike, right? And they had these dumb old cheater levers on for the brakes that made the brakes terrible. The rims were awful. I mean, you blow up the tire, put more pressure in the tire and the rim would spread out. Those bikes were awful. Little narrow, hard saddles, drop bars, you know, with stem shifters and everything. That was the standard bike. So if what you did, so, so, so you're saying, okay, so people have been trying, you know, people have been throwing together off-road bikes forever and, and, it, but, but like you, you figured out some, some secret sauce that had to do with what, with marketing, with, with, uh, communicating. It's three things. You got to have a great design that is, it's got to look good, you know, and then uh, you got to hype the living crap out of it. And then you got to deliver on, on promise, you know, deliver goods. And it was nuts. I mean, we had, I mean, people went crazy, you know, I mean, our bikes were really expensive too, you know, and, and we had huge lines out the door, you know, and I went to great lengths to make sure I could deliver bikes and my competitors, you know, I started early on, I, I came up with the word mountain bike. And to me, that was an obvious, that was a good word to use. And then I blew it in the trademarking. Boy, I learned all about trademarking after that. <laughs> but I blew it. I let it go generic. You know, a trademark is only as good as the attorney and all the money you got behind the damn thing. But if if your goal was to get more people on bikes, you did that. Well, open source, right? A lot of that. What's happening that's equivalently interesting in the world of cycling now? Or is there anything that's... There's a lot right now. I mean, I look at um, additive manufacturing, you know, and we're going to bring a lot of manufacturing right back into the city center because uh, that's where people are. And, um, you know, you don't transport goods. It's, It's like this Hyperloop thing. It's hyperjive, except it needs to be four foot in diameter tube, not 12 foot in diameter. And it needs to move goods in the city and eliminate all these stupid trucks all over the place. You know, that's what the hyper, the hyper loop, you think uh, Elon Musk divested of it, basically, because he knows there are too many technical issues with the thing. But you got to start in, a, in that whole system. You go back to the tube system and the tube system actually 
that was a system for a lot of mail and stuff in cities and that, and that could come back. I totally believe it's, uh, you hit it right dead on. We got these big spaces, you know, and we need to bike highway. So, so what about, what about e-bikes? Cause, cause I think that e-bikes are going to be huge potentially if they're handled right, especially like in, I mean, look at some of the suburbs, you know, in, in the South Bay there, that's a good example. The electric bikes, the electric scooters, um, the electric skateboards, the one wheels, holy Toledo. And the kids that can ride them blow my mind. You know, I ride through San Francisco on my e-bike and these guys are going 20, 25 miles an hour on their one wheels. And they're going over all the big, all the crap in the road and everything. And I'm going like, the other day, there's this guy in a three-piece suit, you know, it's like six in the morning, it's dark. And he's on a skateboard and he's doing like 25 miles an hour. And, you know, he's going where? He stops, goes to the bus, uh, to the bus stop. He takes, you know. He's got this big, long backpack and he puts the long board in it. And it's like, good to go, man. Three piece suit. All this stuff is so incredibly, you've been examined and regulated and everything. E-bikes, all these things, you know, it's crazy compared to like these big, wild, crazy things that are unregulated out there running around like crazy that they put all these advertisement, like Nissan's are the worst of people, you know, the rogue, the just idiot drivers and things. And while at the same time, we have the technology that's been in place for some time now is geofenced uh, speed regulators in every car. How unromantic is that? Exactly as it should be. It's just, and it, it's so ironic, you know, like this, like we got the, the Trump guys in their big trucks and then you go on Amazon and say, boost my truck. Okay. And right there, man, you can get those things that defeat the system and make your truck spew ultra amounts. Have you read the latest? We were just talking about that this morning. These guys don't even know it. The guys buy it and and do it and are proud of it. They don't even know what they're doing. (laughs) And then they gas themselves of it and then take pride in it. I know. And their kids and whoever else happens to be around. So, so, okay. So let's, I want to get, before we wrap up, I want to, I want to talk to you about um, COVID lessons. All right. So we've, we're going through, we have not been through it yet because it's still going on. God knows the worst thing that a lot of us have seen in our lifetimes. And, you know, there's this idea that maybe we can learn something from it. Right. What could we learn and how can we not squander this opportunity? There's been a tremendous amount of self-examination. The bike realm, uh, I'm going to keep this sort of close to that realm. Uh, People in the bike realm are like, some of them are like, well, this will just go all back to normal. Uh, It's not in our control and that sort of thing. And But I think a lot of people understand that there's been a real seismic shift and that a lot of places have changed a bit just seeing the bluer skies and seeing the nature come back i think that has been a bigger effect than um, you know than the clear streets or any of that because there's not much of that i mean the big news there has been in paris this year and barcelona and those cities that have made the bold moves and taken away the valued land from these people that have uh, blown it on their promise you know and we have to get organized on making 
the big ask because the small ask is uh, squirrel nuts. I mean, it just doesn't satisfy anything and it doesn't work. A narrow bike path does not cut it anymore. You know, we've got too many people and it's a mess. This is not going to work if it's a mess. It needs to be designed like paradise and done correctly. It's a lot of work. And fortunately, we have a lot of passionate people. We've never seen this, so many passionate people with it, with us before. And a lot of um, realization that uh, we can make change. We're not done at all. You know, we have to work really hard. We have to really convince people that, no, we're not taking at all. This is giving. You, you've been taken for a ride, my friend. And I know you enjoy this tremendous vehicle. And they're incredible. But, you know, there's more, much more. That's it for this Patreon special edition of The War on Cars. If you're interested in buying Gary's book, it's available only through Trek Bicycles at trek.com. On behalf of my co-hosts, Doug Gordon and Aaron Napperstack, I want to say how much your support means to us. You are the ones who make all of this possible. We love to hear from you. So if you have any ideas, comments, complaints, or insights, please drop us a line at thewaroncars at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.